Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us. And it may be cold outside, Father, but it's warm in here. And you are the warmth. It is your love for us and the love in us for one another. And Father, may that warmth of your word and the warmth of your love touch everyone in this place today. Father, there may be people here in this room or people within the sound of my voice and their life right now is hurting. They're going through a difficult time this time of year that can be so joyful for so many people, but can be so challenging for many people that may have lost a loved one either recently or even long ago. And this time of year brings back memories. And it is a time of year that's so full of things and traditions that bring back memories. And Father, may your warmth of your love comfort them tonight, today and strengthen them. Father, it can be a difficult time for some people because it's a very family-oriented time and there may be people here that don't have family, either locally here or may not have family at all. And Lord, may the warmth of your love in this place and in your word and by your spirit comfort and warm them today. There may be people here today or within the sound of my voice They're just, life is in a turmoil. They're dealing with very difficult issues just of life. And it may be their health. It may be finances. It may be difficult family issues. It may be other things. It may be all of them. And life right now is just so overwhelming to them that they don't look at this season as joyful. Maybe they just don't have the means to provide what they'd like to for their family. Father, may the warmth of your love and your word this morning comfort and strengthen them. And Father, we just pray that your word will direct us, that your spirit is here by your word to feed us what it is we need today. Give us our daily bread today, Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Open your Bibles with me to uh, Numbers chapter 13. We're talking about being, being, uh, learning to walk by faith. And, And walking by faith is learning to walk more by what God's Word says and by what's in the spirit realm than by the, by the realities of what we see. And the, the problem is we, we've been born in a body that's from this, earth, from this material realm. We live in a world that's dominated by this material realm. And then we get born again and we find out that God's done something on the inside of us. And it's a process of growing and learning what it is he's done. We sang about it earlier, that and, and, and Ola talked about it briefly, about that, you know, you're a new creature in Christ. If, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've received Christ, call upon him as your Savior, then he has literally come to live inside of you. He's put his own spirit in you, and he's birthed a brand new spirit in you. And the Bible tells us that that spirit is as righteous as he is, because it's his own righteousness he's given to you. And that's what God did on the inside of you. Then God, the Bible says, God put his own spirit in you. And that's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So the love of God, the life of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the kingdom of God is literally inside of you this morning, inside of me, if you have given your life to Christ. And, 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 but then we're living a life that often that's defeated, struggling, discouraging, whatever the circumstances of this world are. But we're called to live a victorious life. That doesn't mean that everything's going to go right. What it means is whatever happens, we're overcomers. We can overcome it. The Bible doesn't promise you won't go through afflictions, but it says many of the afflictions of the righteous, Psalm 34, but the Lord delivers them out of some of them. Oh, 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 that's right, all of them. (laughs) Just want to see if some of you are awake or have read it. (laughs) The Lord delivers us out of all of them. 
We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And God needs, he, he, we need to live that victorious life. He needs the church to live that victorious life and not to be cowering and hiding within the four walls of our building because of what's going on inside of the world. Because the, the, only a handful of people in that very beginning of the church, only a handful of people turned the world upside down. And that was a world that was worse than the world you and I live in today. We forget sometimes. We think, oh my goodness, the condition of the world today. Well, it's bad, but it's been worse. Because when the church was birthed, it was under the domination of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was ruled with an iron hand. And it was controlled where, where the church was birthed, was controlled by Roman officers and Roman soldiers and under their dominion. And then you had the religious leaders on top of them or underneath them, one way or the other, interfering. And yet God was able through a handful, only 120 people to begin with, God was able through them to turn the world upside down. In fact, they got that reputation. Those that have turned the world upside down have shown up here. How did that happen? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't even have the Bible that you and I have. They didn't, they didn't have Romans and, and, and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't, they didn't have them because they're the ones that wrote it. All they had was the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and a love and commitment that they were here for a purpose. Well, if they could do that then with just 120, what should the church be able to do or God be able to do through the church today with literally millions around the world? How much, and, and, and so this is what God wants to do, but he can't do it until the church wakes up and realizes who we are and who it is that lives inside of us. So we need to, we're learning to walk in the Spirit. That's what the real the series is. But for you can walk in the Spirit, which is literally to walk more aware of who you are on the inside and the, and the realities on the inside than, than moved by what's going on in the, in the circumstances around you. In order to do that, we have to learn to walk by faith because everything on the inside are things you can't see. So we have to. what's on the inside has to become more real to us than what's on the outside so that we can walk by way of this more than we do by way of what's on the outside. To do that, we have to learn to walk by faith. And that's why we've been looking at that, which is a good thing to go through periodically anyway. And I've just come coming through this whole battle this year of, of, of health battle, of faith battle. And I was chairing with some with uh, Jack Turquetta earlier. You know, you, you think you're somewhere until you go through one of those afflictions and find out, first of all, how faithful God is, because he'll bring you through it. And he'll bring you victorious through it if you'll learn to follow what he has to do. And then, and then, but, but you learn so much by going through things that you don't do just sitting in a blue sea saying, Amen, praise God, boy, that's good, Pastor, that's right. And so a lot of what I'm preaching to you are things I've known for years, preached for years, but they have a different level of reality to me now. You understand things can be more real to you? You ever heard a message that said, Wow, that was wonderful. And I may have preached the same message a month ago. Or you may have listened to it on a CD or a podcast or something, and suddenly it has a different meaning to you. Why? It's not because the word changed, it's you're in a different place. You're more open, maybe because of what you're going through. There are some people that I've listened to over the last six months that I never got anything out of before, but suddenly they had a great meaning to me because they were speaking into an area that I needed to hear something about. So I was more open to them 
The, the word was just as good six months or last year, but I was more open to them because of the need in my life. And so, so this is important for us right now. So did you find Numbers 13? Okay. So what we looked at is this journey of faith. We talked about Israel is given. The First Corinthians 10 tells us that the story of Israel's journey from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land is in the Old Testament as an example for our benefit so that we would learn some things from their journey. We've seen that Egypt has a symbolic reference for us because this is not just a, a nice old story from the Old Testament that, that Cecil B. DeMille years ago made a nice movie out of, as inaccurate as it was. He, it it is, is here for us to learn something. And it's not just an historical story. It is also because Egypt represents the world that we were born into. It represents the world, it's the systems of the world out, out there. Egypt at the time was the most, probably the most scientifically advanced nation. In fact, there's some things they learned, techniques they learned that we haven't figured out yet. It, it, was, it was the most educated nation. It was the most religious but not godly nation. It was, it was the epitome of everything that man can do on his own apart from God. And now God's people are sent to dwell there and then it's time for them to leave and they cry out for a deliverer and God delivers them, sends Moses to bring them out to take them into a land that He's promised them is filled with blessings. It's filled with prosperity. It's filled with safety. And God's promised them, we looked at that in Exodus 23, God said, I'm going to take, I'm going to go before you into that land. And it's a land of the Hittites, the, 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 the Jebusites and all the otherites, but I will go before you and I will drive them out one by one. I will not drive them out in one day, one, at once because if I do, the beasts or the field will come in and destroy it. So I'm even going to take care of your enemy in a way that will benefit you. They saw Israel. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the Egyptian army swallowed up in it. They watched God bring water out of a, out of a, out of a, out of a rock. They saw God every day who promised to give them food, gave them manna, this bread that came down out of heaven. And they saw all of that for one whole year. And now they get to the land to come into it. They send 12 spies in, one from each tribe. And they come back saying everything that... Well, we're going to read that. That's where we left off. Uh, and this is somewhat of a review. So let's begin to read here. We're going to just summarize some things. Because we've read this before, but I want to point something out to you. And then we're going to go on from there. Numbers 13, verse 26. Now this is the spies. They departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them. I have that underlined in my Bible. The word, word underlined. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, if it's the word of God, faith in God comes by hearing the word. But if it's the word of fear, if it's the word of doubt, if it's the word of unbelief, then the works of Satan comes by hearing the word. The point is something comes from the words you hear. So it's important what words you're listening to and what words you're speaking because you hear every word you say. They brought back word to them. Before this word was brought back to the children of Israel, they were expecting to be able to go in. 
They've been told by God, I'm going to give it to you. They were right on the edge of it. We don't know what was going on because it doesn't tell us, but we can only imagine they must have been anticipating. Tomorrow we're going to be in the promised land. We're about to go into the promised land. Oh, isn't this wonderful? And their hope was up. Ever have your hope up? And then somebody brings to you word. Maybe you go for your physical, as I did this year, just hoping everything's going to be the way it's always been. I've never had any problems. You know, you hope you go in there and it's like, nice doctor, good to see your day, you know. They do the blood test and come back and you get a word you weren't expecting to hear. They brought a word to them. And it's what you do with that word that determines what's going to happen. And what words you listen to determine with what you've got to do with it. So they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and then they showed them. So first they hear words, and now they're seeing something. Isn't it interesting? They showed them the fruit of the land, but they gave them a word. Well, let's see what the word was. I think we already have an idea. Verse 27. And they told them, these are the words, and said, We went to the land where you sent us, and it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they start out by saying, Everything God told us is true. And if they stop there, it would be wonderful. But it follows with, Nevertheless, or but. Nevertheless is a transitioned word. And what it says to you is, you were going this direction, but now I'm going to go this direction. Everything I've told you is true, nevertheless. What they're about to do when you get a nevertheless this way, it's going to undo what was just said before. Now there's some good neverthelesses in the Bible. In, in Luke chapter, I think it's 5, there's the story of, of Jesus preaching in, in, in Peter's community, and he borrows Peter's boat to go out and sit in the water so he can preach back to the people. And then when he's done, he tells Peter, get in the boat and go out and throw your net down for a catch. And Peter says, no, you understand. First of all, we're fishermen, you're a carpenter. We were out all night. We're fishermen, which is night times when you fish. Uh, in case you don't know that, carpenter. We were out all night, and we caught nothing. So we know when to fish, because we're fishermen, and you're a carpenter. And we know what to fish, because we're fishermen, and you're a carpenter. And, and, and there are none out there, because we were out there when the fish are out there, because we're fishermen, and, and you're a carpenter. And there are none there. Nevertheless, At your word. Because you're not just a carpenter. You're the son of God. (laughs) At the word of the son of God, in spite of what we've seen, in spite of what our senses tell us, in spite of what our experience and education tells us, we're going to do what you said, nevertheless what we saw. So nevertheless can be a good turnaround 
Just recognize when you see the word nevertheless, or you hear somebody say, I know that's true, but stop, because you want to make sure which direction this is going to take you and whether you want to go there or not. Sometimes you hear it out of your own mouth. I know God loves me, but you're about to undo what you just said. Now, maybe you need to undo what you just said, but you need to stop when you hear that nevertheless or that but and ask a question, do I want to undo what just I just heard or do I want to or, or do I want to or do I want to undo what just heard and replace it with God's word? All right, little side note there. Okay. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now remember, what we're studying is we're learning how to walk by faith and not by sight. We looked at one of our key scriptures, we didn't put it up this morning, is in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, which says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight refers to our five senses. We walk, we live our life, we make decisions, we, we, we're trusting not based on what our five senses tell us, but based on what... God's word, faith in what God's word says, or faith on what's on the inside. And so we've seen in verse 27, they heard, what do you hear with? Your ears. They heard words, and now they said, we saw something. So the report, this is what I want you to see, this is why we're going back over this this morning. We covered this briefly before, but I want to go over, because when I was reviewing this and meditating it, it Let my mouth catch up with my mind. <laughs> Meditating on this, the two words that struck, stuck out to me were the, the words they heard and what they saw. Because remember, what we're learning how to do is not walk by what we see and not be governed by what we hear unless it's God's Word. And this is exactly what they had. They had God's promise and then they saw something and now they hear something, and they've got to choose which one's going to govern the decisions that they make. Which one are they going to trust in and rely on? What they've seen and what they've heard, or what God said? And at this point, we find out which has a greater authority in their life. The Word of God, or their five senses and their reasoning. We saw just briefly, as I referred to the story, somehow in Peter, when he had to make that decision about going back out to cast the net out, he had enough in him to respect the one that spoke the word to him more than his own senses told him and his own reasoning told him. You follow that? Now, the, these Israelites don't, except for two of them. So, here's the point. They had God's word on it. And they saw something, and the congregation hears something that goes counter to what God said. Actually, it doesn't go counter to what God said. It's irrelevant, because God said, I'm giving it to you. It's a great example of this. We may get there later. In Romans chapter 4, if you really want to get the elements of faith, Romans chapter 4, starting around verse 16 because it, it, it says, it says so that, that this gospel, this salvation, may be by faith so that it can be according to grace, so that it's certain to everyone. 
As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. That's the word that God gave to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. As for me, from God's side, I have made you a father of many nations. And in case you don't know the story, that was impossible because Abraham and Sarah were past childbearing age and Sarah was barren anyway. So they have two strikes against them. Three, because they're both past childbearing age and she's barren. So this is something that, by all natural reasonings, cannot happen. And God said, as for me, so God gives him his word. I don't care what your body tells you. I don't care what your experience tells you. I don't care what your, your biology teacher taught you. Then when they say this can't happen at this stage, I'm saying I've made it happen. Now Abraham's got a choice to make. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you, according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham, without going, becoming weak in faith, being fully persuaded that what God promised was also able to perform. Oh, there we got it. Okay. Therefore, that it, okay. Verse 17. Good. I, I have made you a father of many nations. So from God's side, God's word is, I've done this. See, when God makes a promise, it's done. It's done. So this is why when you take a promise of God and you pray, you're not asking God to do something. He's already done it. And look at this. This is what I want you to get at. I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him, some translations say the sight of him, this is talking about what Abraham knew about God, whom he believed. So Abraham believed this God who made this impossible promise to him. And what did he believe about God? Who gives life to the dead. We're talking about what God's able to do. He can take something that was dead like Sarah's womb, like both of their reproductive systems, and he can make something alive that was dead. But if that's not good enough, he can also call things into existence that never existed before. Now, Abraham's faith in God's promise was because he understood something about God. See, faith is based on knowing God and what God's like and what God's able to do. It's not just something you pull out of the Bible. It comes out of a relationship. I didn't plan to get into this this morning, but this is where we're going. And so what Abraham came to learn about God is that God was able to perform what he's promised. Go to the next verse. Who in contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he might become the father of many nations. So the process of faith is God makes a promise and you have to believe it before it can happen. In the natural process of things, seeing is believing. So if I can see it, then I'll believe it. But in the, God's kingdom, it's the other way around. You have to believe it before your senses are going to see it. And you can believe it because it exists, but your senses just haven't picked it up yet. So shall your descendants be. That's the promise again. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, I've got to explain this to you, he considered not his own body. Some of you will have translations that say he considered his own body. Which is right. It all depends on which original text they used. But it's not relevant. It's both the same thing. 
So what it's saying is his body had no different, made no difference to him, whether he looked at it or didn't look at it. Because the translations, the, the, the Greek texts that say, that, that uh, those of you have a NASB will say he considered his own body. It basically means he, he stared him in the face. In other words, the point is here, he wasn't moved by what his body told him. And you've got to know his body told him something. Sometimes as you get older and you start getting up in the morning or just getting up from sitting at a table, you know that you're not 20 anymore. Your body starts speaking to you. and You've got to speak back to it. And you've got to know his body was telling him, now I'm just, this is kind of facetious, but you know, he'd look in the mirror and say, yeah, you're a father of many nations. And he's trying to pull his face up. You ever do that? You know, <laughs> pull your face up and say, what would a facelift look like? You know, you know he's, of course he had a beard. But my point is, somewhere he's getting evidence to him this doesn't happen. And then he looks at her. I'm being facetious, but there's a reality to this. Because you understand it was 25 years. He got 25 years of looking at himself in a mirror. I don't know if they had mirrors then. Or 25 years of looking at her. And I'm sure she was beautiful to him. But at the very least, he knew nothing ever came out of her before. And he's got this word from God, which he's not getting every day, reminding him. And so something has to govern a decision in him. And if you read through the story, it wasn't like God spoke to him and said, Yes, thank you, God, I've got this. No, he had, in fact, they tried to help God out. Abraham grew in faith. Gives me hope. And yet you go on and read, and God countered him as if he was already at the end from the beginning. Because he said he was strong in faith. No, he wasn't all the time. But he grew in it. So here's the point. Keep going. This is what the obstacle is. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Remember the battle is this. Your five senses are going to tell you, and the world's going to tell you words and visual signals. Your body will tell you whatever it is you're trusting God for. It's going to speak to you and tell you a message, which is this is not going to work. This is not going to happen. It doesn't apply to you. You're not holy enough. Whatever the message is, it's going to tell you God's word doesn't work. It can't be trusted. By the way, it's the same message in the garden. What did Satan do? He got her to doubt God's word. His device has never changed. Unbelief. But Abram did not waver in unbelief at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened or given strong in faith, giving glory to God. And the next verse is what I wanted to get to. Being fully convinced or persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Years ago, I was going through meditating on this, and it suddenly dawned on me why he was not moved by his body and her body. Why he was fully convinced that what God promised he was able to perform when his body screamed at him, his eyes looking at her told him, this does not happen. And this is the battle we go through, because many of us are somewhere in this battle. It's like the father that brought his demonic son, a demon-possessed son, to the disciples, and they couldn't cast the demon out, and he brings them to Jesus and says, if you can, your disciples couldn't do it, if you can, would you deliver my son? And Jesus' answer is, if I can. It's not whether I can 
all things are possible to him who believes. He's saying the issue isn't what I can do. The issue is what can you believe? Because all things, I can do all things to the extent you can believe it. And the Father's response is where so many of us are. I believe, help my unbelief. And I, I realized this summer, he had to have some measure of belief because he came and asked for Jesus, his disciples to heal him. And when they couldn't heal him, he didn't say, well, I guess it's not God's will. God came down off the mountain and he came over to him and says, your disciples couldn't do it. Would you do it? So he believed something, but his belief wasn't there yet. He was moved by what he saw. And then Jesus cast the demon out and, and the, the, he rise. You know, sometimes things don't change right away. Instead of being better, it got worse. Because he falls on the ground and really put, throws a fit. Because the devil doesn't sometimes come out quite so easily. He wants to see if you'll back down. But he's dealing with the wrong guy. He'd already dealt with him before. And Jesus wasn't moved. Here's my point. Jesus wasn't moved by the fact that it looked worse. And when the demon came out, the boy fell down like he was dead. He must have really looked dead because everybody around said, He's dead. He's dead. He looks dead. Yeah, he's dead. You think he's dead? I think he's dead. He looks dead to me. But Jesus wasn't moved by how it looked. He wasn't moved by any of that. He reached down and took the boy by the hand and lifted him up. And this is the battle we're in. Because the, 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 the natural evidence that comes through your five senses is trying to tell you it won't happen, it can't happen, for whatever reason. Either you're not holy enough, you haven't spent enough time in the Word, you don't go to church enough, you don't tithe, you don't do all those things, and, or, or God doesn't, this doesn't work for us today, it's passed away with the apostles. All the things that tell us it won't work for you. Abraham had plenty of evidence that tell him it wouldn't work for him. But he became fully convinced that what God promised, he was also able to perform. And it dawned on me one day, looking at that. The evidence that Abraham had that this wasn't going to work was her physical body and his physical body, their age. That's telling him this isn't going to work. On the other hand, you have God who said, I've already done it. And what Abraham believed is, wait a minute. What does the condition of our bodies have to do with what God can do? Now listen carefully. What does the condition of our bodies, our age, her dried up into, you know, reproductive organs, his weak body, whatever it is. What, is. what does that have to do with what God's able to do when the God that made the promise, let's talk about what he's able, is able to raise the dead with his words. And if, if it's worse than that, he calls things into existence that never existed before. So, what does the condition of your body, how can that limit what God can do through His Word? I'm not sure you're getting this. 
Because we're so used to, well, my body tells me you don't get over that. The doctor's report says we don't have a cure for that. There are no jobs out there. We're in a bad economy. All of that's natural stuff out there. I've never done that before. I don't know how to do this. I'm not educated. I was born into the wrong side of the tracks. I'm the wrong nation, nationality. I'm the wrong color. I'm the wrong... All of this is natural stuff. From the world telling you a message. Yet God said, you are more than conquerors through Him who loved you. God said, I live inside of you. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. God said, it doesn't matter what anybody else, I'm for you. Who can be against you? So you've got God's Word on one side telling you what He's done for you. You've got the world, the circumstances, the doctor, your boss, your body telling you and screaming at you another report. Isaiah 53 starts out by saying, and whose report will you believe? But here's the difference. They're not on equal footings. It's not your body, the cancer, the thyroid condition, whatever it is. It's not the job situation. It's not the mess in your family on one side against God on the other side and in its equal battle. Because the God that's made His promises raises the dead. And everything that exists, the, your body, science, all of those exist, listen carefully, because God spoke words and said, let there be. And Hebrews tells us it's still all held together by the word of His power. The universe was created. It's telling you it's not going to work. It was created by God's words. So when God's spoken a word to you, when God's written a word to us, the power of creation is behind that word to make it come to pass. So I was meditating on this and suddenly it dawned on me. What's her shriveled up uterus and his shriveled up body? How could that stop the promise of God from coming about in them when the God who made the promise raises the dead, a dead womb, a dead body, and can call things into existence if she never had a uterus? How would that stop God's Word from working? We've got to think about who this God is and what this God can do and the authority and power of His words. And this is the issue. Because the question is, what place does God's Word have in your life? Because here you had the Israelites. The twelve spies come back and they both had the same word from God. The same promise. Remember, they stood in the field and they confirmed that promise back. So we know they heard it and agreed with it. And now they're hearing words 
And they're being told that, that the spies saw things and they're drawing conclusions from that that we can't do this because we're, we're, like, we're too weak and they're too great. Because they saw everything in terms of... Oh, this, we've got to go on. Go, go back to Numbers 13. I, I know we've covered this before, but we're breaking it down here. I really felt led this morning to break this down because this is where we live. All of you that are attempting to walk by faith in any area, you're somewhere in this, in this, in this discussion. Somewhere between I believe and help my unbelief. Somewhere in this battle where you're trying to stand on God's Word and, and there's things, circumstances, telling you it's not going to happen. Maybe you've, maybe you've stood in faith for something like this 30 times before and it never worked. What's that got to do with what God can do? But your mind will go back, well, it's never worked before. I know, I've dealt with that. It's never worked in this area before. You've never seen God do this in your life before. Other people, but not for you. There's a devil out there who is trying to talk to you through these circumstances, just like the Spirit of God inside of you is trying to talk to you too. It's just that we're more used to giving attention to the outward circumstances than to listening in here. And that's where we are in this. So let's go on. And this is their report. Verse 29 now. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So it wasn't like, oh no, they're lying. There were no, there were no ites there. Oh, they were just imagining something. See, sometimes... People think what faith is, is denying the circumstances. Oh no. I remember sitting down with a, with a, uh, a social worker when we first started this. And, and as part of the process, and I'm glad they had that process. And she says, um, first thing she starts out, she said, well, you look awful calm. And I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm trusting God. And I'm glad the doctors are doing this. She says, do you really understand what you have? It's like, are you facing reality? Well, there are Christians out there that think that, that, that faith means I deny. I don't, no, they didn't, they, they didn't, they didn't find that in my, in my prostate gland. No, they, they, they didn't do that. Remember what I told you carefully? I didn't say I have prostate cancer. I said they found it in my body. Because I'm not my body. I need to keep that straight up here. But I didn't say, no, they didn't. So faith doesn't deny what's there. Caleb didn't say, huh, no, they're just imagining this. They're weak. They're not walking by faith. There are no Amalekites in there. There are no Hittites, no Jebusites. No, he says, yeah, they're there. But we're well able to overcome it. We don't deny what the circumstances tell us but we don't allow the circumstances to have authority in our life over what God said about it. That's the difference. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not well able to go up again. So they've, they've both seen the exact same thing. They both have the exact same doctor's report. 
Same pink slip from the from the employer. Whatever the whatever the report is, they had the same factual information that went to their senses. They both saw and heard the same things, but a drastically different conclusions about what they're able to do. And the difference is what place God's word had in their life. For the ten spies, God's word was a distant memory. What was real to them was the memory of what they just seen. What was real to them was the memory. Your senses have a memory to them. It's not always very, really accurate, but there's a memory to them. They were out in that field a year plus ago when God's promise was made to them and God's promise that I would over, the, the, though those ites are there, and I'll, but I will go before you. But that was over a year ago. And that memory faded in reality to them. I'm sure it was stored up in there somewhere, but it wasn't as real to them as what their senses had just seen. When I would go in for a test, my wife and I, before we went in, because I recognized what this battle was, if you've ever gone in for some of those tests, you're surrounded by machinery and people in white coats and all kinds of, all kinds of sensory evidence that there's something seriously wrong with you. And, and I'm grateful for all those people that were wonderful and did tremendous things. And I'm so grateful that they were there. But I had to set myself, my wife and I did, that we're going into a, into a world that is a, a natural world that's done their very best to, to rid my body of this ungodly thing. But my trust is not ultimately in them. It's not who I am. So it's a matter of allowing those things to serve me, but not lord it over me. I'm not submitting. That was the word I got. You're not submitting. You're allowing it, them to work with you, but you're not submitting your future into their hands and not receiving that on the inside of you. Your body can receive it, but not what you're trusting in with your heart. You follow what I'm saying there? And that's what Joshua and Caleb had done. So they saw the same things, but they didn't move them off of what God's Word because they allowed God's Word was more real to them than what their senses told them. Okay. Let's go quickly, and I covered this before. We're not going to get anywhere near done with this today. But this is worth going through this. How, and we began to look at this last week, how did the Israelites, how did these ten spies get to this place? And yet the Joshua and Caleb didn't. How, how did this happen? Because we need to learn, this is why it's in here, is so we can learn to not do what they did so we don't end up where they ended up, which is they couldn't go in. That generation. And we, we referred to this last time, but I want, this, I want to go down through this. Quickly. Numbers 11. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them to the outskirts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses, and Moses, when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. He called the name of the place. Let's go down to verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who came with among them 
yielded to the intense cravings, so that the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Let's look at this, verse 5. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. How many of you remember what you had for supper last night? How about last Saturday night? I had breakfast yesterday. I remember it kind of all day, but that was not why. It just kept coming back up again. But, but my point is, your senses have a memory for some things. And, I mean, we're talking about years and years, and, and they're, they're, they're now thinking about the taste of the food that they had. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. We talked last week about once you start letting your senses run with you, you begin to lose touch with, re- with reality. Because what they're about to say isn't true. They weren't all dried up. They weren't all dried up. I've got to move on. Now our whole being is dried up and there's nothing at all except, look at this, this manna before our eyes. Go with me to Deuteronomy 8. We'll see what this is all about. So what they're complaining was that the food they had back in Egypt was better than the food God was providing for them. We said this before. Remember, see, our memories get selective. Especially, oh, this is good. Especially when you start becoming discontented. When you become ungrateful or you just stop becoming grateful. And then you become ungrateful, you become discontented, you start looking at what's wrong. And the more you look at something, the bigger it gets. And now what happens is now your perspective changes and you start thinking things and saying things that even they aren't true because it's gotten bigger and bigger in your mind and we start using like words like, I've all, this, is all, this is never going to change. I've always been like this. And, and, and there's almost nothing in your life that's been always and will never. Those are absolutes and they're almost always never true. <laughs> but we start using those words, but the problem is we hear those words and they paint images in our mind. This is overwhelming. It's never going to change. And we've got God living on the inside of us in His Word telling us, I can raise the dead and call things into existence. I've told you it can change. But this is how they got there. And the more you start thinking about something, the more you want it, and the more you start longing for it. And that last verse we read, verse 6 says, and they, basically they despised the food God was giving them. They despised it. They said, we, all we have is this manna. There's nothing at all except this manna. Look, before our eyes. Senses again. Now remember, and this is what we're going to look at here in Deuteronomy, who gave them the manna? Remember who decided what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. And who provided it for them. And what they're saying is, God's mistreated us. He's not giving us what we need and what we want. And we're all dried up. God, is a, God is, has not taken good care of us. This is why God was upset at it. All He'd done for them, 
And they threw that out the window because they missed the leeks and the onions and the melons and the garlic. Of course, they forgot the whips, the beatings, the endless hours of slavery toil, their relatives that had died carrying these burdens for Pharaoh. They forgot all that stuff. They were so dominated by their appetite. They lost their perspective spiritually. But Joshua and Caleb were men of different spirit. All right, here's what this is all about, and we will only get into this. This is God 39 years later when this next generation is about to enter through Moses rehearsing, going back over all he's taken them through. And the reason we're looking at this is he's telling them why he did what he did, and in this case, why they missed the lesson. But they're to- he's explaining to them why he did what he did. Every commandment that I command you today, you must carefully observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, God does test us, but he doesn't test us so he'll find out what's in there. Because God already knows what's in there. He tests us so we'll find out what's in there to give us the opportunity to receive direction, correction, and so that we may grow and mature because he's a loving father. We'll see that if we have time to get into this. He fed you with manna that you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make... Here's the whole point of what he did with them. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but that man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What we're learning is how to walk by faith in what God says. God's Word, and not be controlled or dominated by what we see, feel, touch, hear, or taste. And is the first generation was so controlled by what their five senses dictated to them that they were willing to abandon God, His destiny, and walk back into, into Egypt, into the world, back into Pharaoh's control of their lives back into the beatings because of the taste of the fish and the leeks and the onions and the garlic and the melons. And God said, I was training you so that you know that you don't live by the bread. Bread represents the natural stuff of this world. Man does not live by bread alone. We do need it. We do live in a natural world, but we don't live by that. The real person on the inside of us doesn't live by that. What do we live by? I was training you so that you would learn that man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And how had God chosen to train them in this? Because he wasn't teaching them. Teaching is when you give instructions and information. Training is is like boot camp. They don't teach you in boot camp. They may do some of it, but they train you. 
They start out by making you get up when you don't want to get up, wear what you don't want to wear, have your hair the way you don't want to wear it, do things you don't want to do because they're training you to do what they tell you to do, not what you want to do. They're waking you up to you're not in control of your world. The sergeant is. The drill instructor is. And God was taking them through a boot camp to train them of the realities, the spiritual reality of who He was in their life. And He was training them because how was He training them? Remember the process. God said, I'm going to provide for you what you need. You need bread every day. And I'm going to provide it for you. And here's how it's going to come. When you get up in the morning, when the dew falls, it will be out there as dew that falls and you gather it up and you can knead it and, and bake your bread out of it. But I'm only going to let you collect one day's worth. Because if you try to collect two days worth, the second day's worth will rot. Because God wanted them to learn to trust Him every day. Because our instinct is, okay, God, I'm going to step out and trust you tomorrow. I'm going to go out at dawn and I'm going to go out and collect this up. But I, you know, I got enough for today. But what about tomorrow? I better get tomorrow's worth too. Because what I'm saying is, I don't know whether God's going to come through tomorrow. came through today. But I'm not sure whether He's going to come through tomorrow. So I better take it into my own hands and control it and collect tomorrow's. That way I, have, I know I have it. Listen carefully. Because I can see it. This morning when I get up, I didn't know for sure whether I was going to have bread because I couldn't see it. I had to go out there based on God's Word. And there was the bread. But I can see the bread now. God, God fulfilled His promise today. But if I collect tomorrow's, I don't need the trusting tomorrow because I'll see tomorrow's worth. And God said, if you do that, that'll rot in your hands or in your mouth. And then just to prove, it's not the only reason, just to prove that God was doing it simply because of what He said, He said on the sixth day you can collect two days' worth. Because tomorrow's the Sabbath and you can't go out and work to collect it. So you can take the second day's worth. So if I wanted to, I could let you collect all five days' worth and it wouldn't rot. But because I said so, I want you to do what I said because I want you to trust that you can base your life, your eternal life, your life today and tomorrow based on what I said, not on what you see, not on what you hear, not on what you reason, because I want you to learn to trust me more than you do this natural world out there. He was training them. Why? Just because he was mean? No, of course not. By the way, look at verse 4. By the way, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 You didn't get new food. Your, your clothes never wore out for 40 years. Your sandals walking on this hard, hot, rough, craggy rocks, they never wore out. So that you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, that word chasten doesn't mean beat. It means trains. As a man trains his son, so your God trains you. Now the question is, are we learning from his training? The question is, are we learning what he's training us? Because you can survive some trainings, but not learn the training. And you know what? You'll have to go through it again. Some, some people just hold their breath and get through it. 
but they don't learn what they were supposed to learn. And God loves you enough to not let you go into where he's called you if you haven't learned what you need to learn. Verse 7, For the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of waters, of fountains, of springs, and flows out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vine. In other words, a land that is going to bless you and prosper you, a land in which you will eat bread, verse 9, without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose fields you can deal copper. And when you've eaten in full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He's given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments or His judgments and His statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, when your senses are full with the goodness of what God's done for you, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord you God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with the fiery serpents and scorpions, who led you through all of this stuff. Verse 17. Then you shall say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. What God's saying is, I've been training you so that when I prosper you and bless you, it won't pull you away from me. Why? Because I know you. I know that until I train you so that you're no longer dominated by your senses, so that you don't determine reality and what's real in terms of what your senses are telling you, but you're more dominated by my word and who I am on the relationship you have with me. If I don't train you in that, when I bless you, because those blessings were all sensory blessings, their tummies were full. Like Thanksgiving Day was like, that's not the time to go pray. My wife bought me a blueberry muffin yesterday. And I looked at that thing because I was about to do some studying and some praying. And I said, I really shouldn't eat that first because I know what it will do. And I did. <laughs> and it did. And I sat on my couch saying, you dummy, why did you eat that? And, so, and I was able to overcome it. But, I, but it's like the sense of my stomach being full, of being sad. It felt good, but it drew me. It made it more difficult to get in touch with God on the inside. I was able to do it, but it made it more difficult. Was it a sin to do that? No. But, but I had to understand this process. And God was training them because our human bodies dominate us until we get so more conscious of, of the Word on the inside of us and the Spirit on the inside of us. So God was training them not to be dominated by the food that they were eating. So they were led by the food. Not to be dominated by the, temp, by, the, by the world around us, but learn to live by God's Word and what God said about the circumstances. Because then God can pour His blessings out on us and His blessings out through us because it won't pull us away from Him. And it won't give us build up in pride. Either a pride of, look what I've done, or the ultimate discouragement, I'm a piece of junk, I'll never get anywhere. Both of those are different kinds of pride. And God doesn't want anything that pulls us away from Him. And so this whole training they went through was that they would learn that man does not live by bread alone. We have His presence on the inside of us. We have His Word. And many of us have His Word on the inside of us. The question is, what are you feeding on? 
we're going to begin to get into next time. How do you, what, what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen to us? Or what can we do if we realize, you need to realize where you are. And the best way to realize where you are is look at whatever you're dealing with in life and how are you handling this. Are the words that are coming out of you words of faith and confidence? Do you have a peace in you that no matter what it looks like right now, I know I'm going to get through this. I know this is going to change. I know it's going to overcome because I know what God's promised. If that's for you, you're in a great place. But if you're not there, that tells you you're still being led more by what the circumstances tell you and what your mind's telling you about that. And so we need to change that. And we're going to begin to get into how do you do that? What is it you can do to begin to not fall into the trap that the Israelites fell into. And I'll, I'll close with this. Jesus, in the, in the f- first great test, and God tested him. God tested him. It says once he was filled with the Spirit, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. <gasps> Why would God do that? He wasn't testing Jesus so that Jesus would, because he didn't know what was in Jesus' heart, because he was in Jesus' heart. But Jesus had never dealt with his flesh being tested, because he never lived in flesh before. And now he knew when he began his ministry, filled with the Spirit, that there was going to be opposition out there from the devil. And the devil's only avenue to get at Jesus, just as the devil's only avenue to get at you, is through the five senses. So he led Jesus in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And then at his physically weakest point, Satan came to test him in his senses. And what was the first test? Was to turn that stone into bread to satisfy his need. Right? And the devil trying to get him conscious of his senses and to make decisions based on his senses and his natural needs over God's calling and destiny in his life and over his relationship and God's promises to him. Now, how did Jesus handle it? How did Jesus handle it? He simply spoke the word. It is written. And what was the word Jesus spoke? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus had disciplined himself, because he had to discipline his flesh, just like you and I do, to not be moved by what the circumstances around him, but to be dominated by the life of God on the inside of him. Which is why on that cross... When God's presence was withdrawn, he cried out for the first time in his existence, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? We have to end here. But you need to, rec- you need to identify where you are in this, because we're all somewhere in this. And in one area, may be one place. In another area, maybe may be in a different place. But God wants to train us. He's working in your life right now because he loves you and you're his child to train you so that you can learn to walk by faith in what He is and who he, what He wants to do for you and has done for you and not be controlled by the circumstances out there in our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today that You love us so much. You're not judging us. You're not angry at us. There are some of us, Lord, that may be further along in this journey than others. But, but help, help each of us to recognize where we are 
that you're there in that journey, wherever we are, meeting us where we are, to lead us to the next level, to the next step. Because you love us. Father, the circumstances that are in each one of our lives right now, help us to learn to see them differently. Not to be thankful that they're there, but to be thankful that the opportunity through them to grow in our knowledge of you, in our confidence that you're there in our lives, in our awareness with you, in our trust in you. That the God who's with us, the God who lives in us, is able to raise the dead and calls things into existence that never existed before. For that grace, we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.